Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. The podcast adaptation of the movie of the novel based on a book. <laughs> no, I love it. Keep it. Keep it no, going. No, it stinks. Let's keep going with I've that. run out of intro juice. Oh, no. I know. It's like the you last... You know, you could toss it to me every once in a while. Okay, let's start over. Okay. Hey, this is Griffin McElroy. Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. And this is wonderful. Hey, it's it's a hot one. Yeah, all right, yeah. Shit, why didn't I think of it's a hot one? Because then you could, there's so many directions you could go with that. You could be like hot enough for you. You could be like, like something, something in the midday, son. Uh huh. uh Is 2018 the year of uh, Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas's Smooth? Do you think 2018 is the year of Smooth? Like, is it coming back? Do you think it is the year of Smooth? If they were going to remake that song with two different artists, who would they be? Rob Thomas. Okay, let's keep him. And Carlos Santana. <laughs> okay. I mean, why mess with perfection? Yeah. That, and here's why I picked them in yeah. sort of my mm-hmm. fantasy draft for yeah. remaking Smooth by Rob <laughs> Thomas and Carlos Santana yeah. is because they know the song pretty good already. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if I'm looking at people's resume for this job I'm hiring for, which is to remake Smooth by Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas, uh-huh. is I want you to have some experience, at least five years experience making Smooth. Uh-huh. By Robert Thomas and Carlos Santana. Uh-huh. No, I like that. I, like I can't that. think of too many other people who did it. So See, that was a good intro. You're right. And that was all you. That was all me. You brought that that, <laughs> that four seamer right over the plate. You got any small wonders though for me? I do actually. I wanted to mention uh the thing we watched this week, which was Nanette by Hannah Gadsby. Yes, it was very good. It was very, very good. We knew literally nothing going into it other than it was supposed to be good, and it was very, it, very it, good. It had been written about a lot of times and it is um and not immediately apparent. Why well, I almost said it's immediately apparent. It's yeah. not, but by the time you hit the end of it, you're like, oh, okay. That's yeah, why you think like you're this. just watching a comedy special, uh, and that it is that. It is that. It's, it's and extremely much, funny. much more, and so much more. Yeah. Uh, go watch it. It's on Netflix. Um, I want to say queso. Just had some downstairs. Uh, pretty good. It's uh, basically like hot cheese that's in a liquid form, mm-hmm. and it's pretty good. Now, if you were going to remake queso. Mm. Who would you Rob put? Thomas melted down <laughs> his bones. Yeah. <laughs> I had another one, but I cannot remember for the life of me. We finished Great British Bake Off season five. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that took so long to go stateside, but, you know, it's a good one. There's nothing. There are very few shows that kind of like fill that gap in, mm-hmm. in my life. Um, I did not. I remember when we watched like the first three seasons in a row back when we like discovered the show. That's when I like bought a mixer and like a big board and a rolling pin. I was like, I'm going to bake. And I baked. And now I did not really have that with this. And I was just trying to think of what the difference was. And it's approximately one child. It's about (laughs) one son. It's about one son's worth of just sort of constant That's very true. Griffin and I tend to prioritize our free time with sleeping. Sleeping and eating queso while watching American Ninja Warrior. Yes. I'm not ashamed of it. It's what we were literally doing before we walked up the stairs. Um, anyway, I think I go first this week. You do. And I want to talk about starting out a YouTube channel, because this is what I spend apparently (laughs) 90% of my day doing, 90% of my free time that is not uh, dedicated to Sleep or American Ninja Warrior Cheese Party, 
is watching YouTube, and there's a YouTube channel I have discovered because it just showed up in my sidebar, which I showed Rachel yesterday is fucking buck wild. <laughs> it's like videos of like these guys who throw huge darts into like old printers from 45 meters up. Hey, Griffin tried to present this to me as if this was some sort of fault of YouTube. No. It's like, look at this garbage. It's and like I was like, that. You, know, you made that. It's a history of speed running and like destiny guides. And then it's like uh, so much bon appetit. It's wild. Anyway, the one I want to talk about is a YouTube channel called Kiwami Japan. And this channel is very good. It's a channel where one very dedicated, very inspired craftsman. He who goes under the username Kiwami Japan uh, has created this channel that is entirely dedicated to kitchen knives. I have shown you, I think one, if not two, of these videos. We may have watched it in bed the other day, um, and it's all about kitchen knives. Some of the videos are about like restoring these old, like fancy Japanese kitchen knives to like their former glory, just oh, by like this polishing is the one where them. Where they up. make knives too? Yes. Yeah. They have stuff where they take like a one dollar knife and then like polish it with very expensive uh, whetstones until it's like it can cut through space and time. But the thing that they are like, I find those videos, like those sort of not less novel videos, very satisfying in a way that I can't really explain. Like I'm really into sort of craftiness these days, but like practical craftiness. I'm also into bad craftiness, like the videos we watch on Facebook when we want to have a quick larf before yes. we go to sleep. There's one y'all and it's like hot <laughs> tips. And this woman walks into an apartment with a guy and she has a hole in her black sock and she looks all embarrassed. And then the video, it says, here's what you should do. And she pulls out a little black Sharpie and just colors in her toe so it matches the sock. It's the wildest fucking thing. Do we want to talk about the hot dog destroyer? We have to have talked about the hot dog destroyer. I'm not sure that we did. Somebody takes a big... Like Like a syringe. Syringe, cuts off the front of it, pokes holes in the front of it, and then sort of does a crisscross of wires... And then they put the plunger back in the syringe, and then they put a hot dog in that sort of channel <laughs> and push it through these this I wire grid. It is a commonplace need to have a shredded hot dog. It's wild to me. It was like a <laughs> it was like a trap in one of the and cube the amount movies. Of time they like burn little holes. It's one by one into the syringe and very carefully place little wires. There's no way it. you save yourself more time than cutting up hot dogs for the rest exactly. of your life. Anyway. Anyway. What they also do on this channel is they make knives. And when I say make knives, I mean they make them out of things that aren't knife stuff. Uh, I'm talking about things like wood and ice. That's wild, right? Oh, a wood knife. They actually make it really, really sharp. And then they can, you know, cut cut up foods in the kitchen. All of the things are very, very practical. But that is like the, that is the tip of the substance iceberg. He's made knives out of cardboard before, uh, out of plastic bottles. Uh, his latest episode, he makes a knife out of underwear. Uh, he yeah, makes, that's the one I watched. He makes uh, knives out of food, which is cyclical in a way that I really appreciate. Things like uh, chocolate and like gummy candy and rice. Gummy? Oh, I want to see the gummy one. The gummy candy one is very, very good. And if you're wondering how like this is possible, most of the videos involve him like sort of uh, reducing these materials down to some sort of pliable state, like stewing the cardboard in water yeah. uh, and then kind of like pressing it together into one like solid block and then dehydrating and drying it out for like a super long time until it becomes firm and then, uh, you know, cutting that into a knife shape and then using whetstones, turning it into a knife. Um, and 
that's kind of the process he goes through. And it's really satisfying to have watched enough of his videos to like watch him make a knife out of gummy candy and be like, okay, so next he's going to pop it in the old dehydrator. Yep. Here we go. Like knowing his, <laughs> this weird craft that this guy does. Um, these videos though, they aren't just like DIY overviews. They are, there's like a lot of humor and like personality in them too. he never speaks, never shows his face. It's just him doing stuff in the kitchen. Um, so like, for instance, there's an episode, a fairly recent one, I think where he makes a uh, two knives out of, pasta where he like mills it down to this fine pasta flour uh which he turns into a kind of a paste and then he forms that into a knife and he dries it out and then sort of sharpens it into a knife and then he does a demonstration uh with each of these two knives and one of them is not as sharp as the other one so he throws it into boiling water and then (laughs) makes a bechamel sauce and then eats that knife it's like very there's like so much like prop comedy going on in these videos uh, and there's a lot of like really ex- like a lot of experimentation that's kind of fun to watch. Like the rice video, he had to mill the rice down to this very very fine powder. So he invented this tumbler where he put these heavy stones in with the rice powder in this glass bottle, and then built a sort of like rotation device out of rolling pins and a drill. And he had to like dial in like how fast he wanted the drill to go to spin the rolling pins to roll this bottle full of rocks and rice dust. It's like really really entertaining to watch. Um, it's it's so good. A lot of the videos are really like straightforward, but a lot of them are like he goes through some pretty unexpected links and then makes some surprisingly extremely practical, very useful kitchen knives. Uh, I just like this idea. I find myself drawn to like crafty videos like this that are especially like transformative and yeah. especially like we're going to transform this uh seemingly useless thing into something very useful like videos of like people building houses in their backyard using like you know mud like is my shit uh and this is this is peak to me because not only is it like kind of surprising that you can make a knife out of underwear uh it's like it's it's very entertaining too again it's called kiwami japan do you think he'll expand to like other implements um i almost think he has I think maybe he has. There's probably other people do. I like the idea also of just a, there's a person out there who has found this thing and become the best person in the world at it. Mm-hmm. That really appeals to me. Of course. What's your first thing? My first thing is kinetic sculpture. This is sculpture that can move stuff with its mind? That's That would be telekinetic sculpture, I think. It's a sculpture that you can talk to? With your mind? It's just a sculpture that moves. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I messed up. Uh, so I thought of this because I've always been really into mobiles. Yes, mobiles or mobi- mobiles? I, oh, man. Or mobiles. I spent a fair amount of time trying to figure this out. Yeah. Because uh, I knew I was going to have to say it over and over again. I think I say mobiles, but I'm from Appalachia and saying, like, 40% of words incorrectly? I think I'm going to stick with mobile. Okay. Um, Don't be pedantic. You know what fucking word we're talking about, people at home. <laughs> so I've been um, for a long time, um, but it kind of became a big thing for me when I was actually writing poetry. And my um, preceptor at University of Chicago, who was kind of... What's that? Oh, <laughs> It's like a it's like a fancy word for like teaching assistant kind of. It's like a mentor but in like a teaching capacity. Is this like a common grad school word? I don't know that it is. 
Um, it sounds badass. It sounds like something that's <laughs> like at Hogwarts that like patrols the halls at night to make sure the kids don't get up to pranks. We were pages. we were divided because so there's a bunch of research that says if a student is in a cohort, uh, they're more likely to finish their program. In a what? Oh, geez. No, come on. You can't act like I'm the weird one here. My cohort preceptor. In, in, <laughs> in education, specifically higher education, there's a bunch of research that, that says if you pair like a group of students together and do a lot of relationship building among those students and enroll them in similar classes and have some kind of mentorship, they're more likely to finish their program. Okay. And so the program I was doing was very rigorous. It was a year long. And so they clustered us all into these groups and gave us like a one like post-grad like doctoral candidate person who would kind of supervise us like meet with us once a week help us and they were the preceptor, preceptor. Of, of your breakfast club that yes. you were in okay yes. which one were you because i think a lot of people would say ali sheedy but I, I do not think that's i, I mean if i was going to be anybody i'm not molly ringwald Yay, molly ringwald you did um, tape a kid's butt cheeks together that one time. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm so sorry to derail you. It's just you said some really fascinating words there, and I loved learning from you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so my preceptor used that as an analogy to writing a poem of, of like a mobile, if you change one word or change the rhythm of a particular line, you can set the whole piece and motion in a different direction and i just found that like idea really captivating and i had always really liked mobiles and so i'd like kind of latched onto it sure uh and the kind of the famous kinetic sculptor is i don't know it's uh alexander calder why would I, why on god's green earth would i know I that no i i feel like his mobiles are very iconic like there are there are just like the standard go-to if you're thinking I know, of mobile. But like, you know how. You know, well, let's say, know. let's talk off mic really quick. Okay. I'm not very cultured. <laughs> you know this. I mean, you talk about E.E. E. Cummings a bunch. That's one. I can learn about that in middle school. Everybody <laughs> knows about E.E. E. Cummings. He does the silly word poems. <laughs> you know how you learn about him in school and they're like, look at all these fucking silly words. It's like, dude, learn how to make a fucking paragraph already. Why don't you capitalize some letters, E.E.? E. I know, dog. Anyway, we can get back on the mic now. It's just you've humiliated me. I'm sorry. <laughs> in front of all my friends. Uh, so Alexander Calder in the 1930s started creating these uh, kinetic sculptures that it was actually uh, the avant-garde artist Marcel Duchamp named uh, Mobiles. And I read a couple different things, but the idea is that it's a French pun because mobile means both motion and motive or like a word similar to that. I don't know. Okay. I didn't research that. Uh, so for a while he was making these motor or crank driven moving sculptures and uh, he kind of found those to be a little predictable and repetitive, uh, and, and it became kind of less exciting to him. Sure, you want that, uh, you want that chaos theory in there. Uh, so he, what he did is he took many balanced parts joined by lengths of wire, uh, whose individual elements were capable of moving independently uh, when prompted by air movement or direct contact. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were often outdoor pieces, which were set in motion by the open air. The Wind Mobiles features abstract shapes delicately balanced on pivoting rods that moved with the slightest current of air. 
Uh, what was funny is that later in his uh, artistic career, he started creating these static abstract sculptures that didn't move. And one of his artist friends called them stables. <laughs> That's very good. I also imagine people would be like, this talk of the town, like, did you see the new Calder piece up? It's at the museum. Oh, I'm going to go there. And then you roll up and you're like, let's give this motherfucker a shove. And it's like, wait, what? It didn't didn't go. So there's a huge collection of them at the National Gallery in Washington, D.C. Uh, they have more than 40 sculptures and paintings uh, and then 19 long-term loans from the Calder Foundation. Uh, I've never been to the National Gallery, but I was looking online, and it's just like the entrance has them kind of hanging from the ceiling, and then there's a whole room dedicated to his mobiles, and they have all these lights set up so you can see like the shadows on oh, the wall. Cool. But um, wait, if it's indoors, how'd they go? I mean, there's air conditioning, maybe just a little breeze. I guess so. Get some going. There's some stop motion videos on YouTube, too, which I definitely watched today. Oh, like wow. A nerd. It's like a minute and a half, and it's just an entire day's worth of slight movement. It didn't move, and then you realized you were looking at one of his, it was just a JPEG of one of his non-moving sculptures. Um, one quote that I found of his uh, talking about these mobiles, he said, I have made a number of things for the open air. All of them react to the wind and are like sailing vessels in that they react best to one kind of breeze. What's that mean, dog? That's just kind of, I mean, they're all very delicately balanced. And so depending which direction the wind's coming from, you're going to get like the most interesting movement. Right. But that must be shitty for her, everybody around him when he's like unveiling it. And he's like, yeah, I wish it was good, but the breeze is. <laughs> I mean, they're so interesting to look at. Yeah. Have but he seen, knows and you, you know, know what I'm talking about when I like talk about his mobiles. Yeah. Do you, I, I don't they, know. They, they, there was something like this, probably not one of his at the Huntington Museum of yeah. Art. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I think they're interesting to look at whether they're moving or not. But I like this idea that it is a piece of art that continues to change. I mean, some of this was at like the Hakone. Yeah, sure. They had some uh, at the Hakone Open Air Museum. They had some kinetic sculptures, and I just always find it like so engaging because it's just like it's it's more dynamic, and and you feel more like you're watching a performance. Hmm, interesting. Uh, and so I just I I don't know. I've always find them really enjoyable. Um, and also like the engineering that goes into the art of it. Yeah. It's fascinating. No, exactly. That was his, his background. If I remember correctly, when I was researching him, he has kind of an engineering background. Mm. So I just found that interesting that he kind of channeled that into his art. Uh, so I just wanted to end. There's this quote, uh, by Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, that I used, um, when I was doing research for my thesis. Um, and I just, I love it. So I wanted to share it. Yeah. Let me know this Sartre. <laughs> A mobile, one might say, is a little private celebration, an object defined by its movement and having no other existence. It is a flower that fades when it ceases to move. I possess a bird of paradise with iron wings. It needs only to be touched by a breath of warm air. The bird ruffles up with a jingling sound, rises, spreads its tail, shakes its crested head, executes a dance step, and then, as if obeying a command, makes a complete about turn with wings outspread. Sart. Isn't that lovely? Always gets me. That is really nice. I, I I just, they're like these little live things, you know? I've always kind of wanted one. Well, let's get one. But uh, when you look up mobile online, it's, it's you, baby stuff. It's baby stuff. <laughs> you can buy, like, recreations. Um, 
but I'd want to hang it in a particular, you know, it's, it's, there's some work to be done. Yeah. Uh, but I love them. Well, somebody's got a birthday coming up. Not, not especially soon. I was talking about my dad. (laughs) That's true. Next month. Yeah. I'm going to get him some, um, probably some DVDs. Okay. (laughs) It's unrelated. I just remembered, um, that his birthday's coming up and I need to get looking for those DVDs. Mm -hmm. Can I steal you away? You started doing some experiment with like tempo these days and like tempo and like meter in a way that like I feel like you're on the cutting edge of like discovering a sort of new genre. I like this idea that this is somebody's first episode and they have no idea what just happened. Sorry, that was a home improvement in your stitchel music. And we still do that because we made a joke about it once and couldn't think of anything better. And that's the truth. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain hey griffin ah we have some messages tell me all about it Tell me about it. We have a message for Chrisanna from Alex. Happy approximate birthday, Chrisanna. Thank you for nearly seven years of friendship, courtship, and more ship. 
I love you so much. I want to tell the world that you, a 24-year-old adult, thought BYOB stood for bring your own bananas until recently. Why would it? Why would that? Why? (laughs) And that's adorable. Please forgive me for exposing your deepest shame. It's very good. I think I thought BYOB was something other than it actually was. Like, I knew it was bring your own, but I didn't think it was bananas. I thought it was something a little more universal. Yeah, I thought it was more like beef or burgers. Or breakfast. I don't know that I thought of breakfast. But um, I just know that, like, usually that it's listed on like barbecue invitations. Yeah. So obviously, it's I thought bring, it was like bring your own barbecue sauce. Yeah, we're having a barbecue. <laughs> bring your own. <laughs> um, That's a very sweet message. What, how far off did we fuck that up? Uh, it was preferred April. Okay. So, so that's about it. And on the average, these days across all of our podcasts, we're fucking up about three months worth every time. So okay. it's good that we're consistent. Uh, This next message is for Sarah. It is from Jill. I can't believe we're turning 30 this year, which means that we've basically been together half our lives, but I couldn't be happier with where our life together has taken us. Thanks for being an amazing wife and loving me through all my sour candy overdoses and late nights of video games long after I should have come to bed. Love you, bookworm. Sour candy overdose is not anything to joke around about. And late nights of video games, Griffin, this sounds... I mean, it might be me, but <laughs> you, you gotta be careful you eat enough of those atomic warheads. It will just, it's like you've poured paint thinner all over your mouth and gets it all raw. And then you eat the ranch Pringles while you're at church camp. And it's a miracle I'm standing here in front of you today. <laughs> while sitting. <laughs> Are stacks of unread books taking over your apartment? Do you constantly miss your train stop because you're caught up in reading? I'm Bria Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. We party hard. And by party hard, we mean read books. So join us every Thursday on Reading Glasses, a maximum fun podcast about reading and book culture. Get more out of your reading life. We'll help you conquer your to-be-read pile. Get out of that book slump. And squeeze more reading time into your busy day. Learn Learn how how to read read better. better. Wow, that was good. (laughs) I have a second thing. Oh, good. It is a thing that I mentioned it to Rachel that I was going to do it. And her response is, I cannot believe you haven't done this yet. And then she actually went to wonderful.fyi, a very good website. And double checked. And double checked that I hadn't done it. And I haven't. Uh, It is a musical artist. Uh, His name is Tallest Man on Earth. And I uh, specifically kind of want to focus on one of his albums that was released in 2010, and it's called The Wild Hunt. Uh, So Tallest Man on Earth is uh, a Swedish guy named Christian Mattsson, who is a a Swedish singer, songwriter, who's been making music since like 2005 or so. And um, I just absolutely adore his work. It's kind of perfectly in my wheelhouse. It's just like real good acoustic folk music, a lot of open-tuned guitars, uh, just like exactly my shit his musical inspirations are like bob dylan which i think is going to be immediately apparent if you've never heard him before as soon as we play some of his music uh but like also like nick drake and woody guthrie and pete seeger and folks like that Can I tell you something Mm -hmm. i had never really listened to his stuff before i met griffin yeah and uh now when i hear it i think of you it just feels very quintessentially griffin to me that's very sweet Yeah, yeah i mean there was a long time there where it was all I listened to, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, and so he has all these like folk inspirations that I really like find attractive, and his lyrics are like really evocative and often kind of inscrutable in a way that I really enjoy. 
Um, so th- this album, The Wild Hunt, came out in 2010. It was his second album. His first album, uh, Hollow Grave, came out in 2008. It's also very good. Uh, but I heard this album, The Wild, the Wild Hunt, for the first time when I was living in Chicago. Uh, this was in, this was in 2010. And, um, I gotta tell you, I cannot think of a better album for like, walking to the train station on like a nice cool autumn day in Chicago than this. Like that was Mm -hmm. sort of, that's the mental connection that I kind of make with it. Just sort of like walk into the train by myself with my headphones on going usually nowhere important, just somewhere to kind of get out of the house for a little (laughs) bit. Um, I listened to this album for like a fucking year, like pretty much every day. And that was kind of a, a lonely year for me. Like I had, I had friends. Like my roommates and I were, were were good friends, but like I didn't know that many people in Chicago. And so this album was just kind of a kind of a nice companion during that time. So if you've never heard uh, Tallest Man on Earth before, he has a very distinctive voice, um, which you're going to hear in this. I, I'm going to play a little bit of the title track to The Wild Hunt, which really encapsulates like what I like about his music is just these pretty open tuned chords, just like some gentle banjo backing, and then just these piercing vocals shooting through all of them. So this is The Wild Hunt. An old machine abandoned by the ancient races stand. I hear them humming down below in hollow earth. Oh, hell, I guess I know no while I will go under too. But just for now, I let the spring and storm return. I left my heart to the wild hunt the coming. I live until the call. And I plan to be forgotten when I'm gone. It's I believing in the fall. Do you think he sounds like, he sounds a lot like Bob Dylan. Yes, he does. And I think that's kind of undeniable. Um, I think in the same way that Bob Dylan's voice is kind of uh, divisive. I think there's lots of people who try listening to it and say like, oh, no. And then there's people who say, oh, yes. And then they listen to his later stuff and they go, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. It's gotten so much, so much worse. Um, it's kind of the same thing with, with Tallest Man on Earth, I feel like. I've had friends who I've tried to get into his music, and just the voice, like, they, they don't enjoy it, and I very yeah. much do. It's you like cilantro, kinda, like, yeah. it just tastes like soap to some people. You have to kind of settle in. Like, you have to kind of accept... I mean, that was the way I was when I first listened to Bob Dylan. Yeah. You have to kind of, like, familiarize yourself with it. But at the same time, like, I never really got into Bob Dylan. Like, I enjoy a few of his songs, but, like, I never really had the Bob Dylan phase. Oh, man, you know my dad listens to this, and he's going to immediately send you a list I said of I like a few of his songs. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> true. Um but like I, I I enjoy all of Tallest Man stuff, uh, and I don't know on the subject of of Bob Dylan, like that is the ninety percent of the pieces that get written about Tallest Man on Earth are about like, yeah. hey, so you sound a lot like Bob Dylan. And I can't imagine how fucking exasperating that must be. Um, uh, you know who does know the answer to that who? is Jacob Dylan from the Wallflowers. Oh yeah, probably <laughs> probably also doesn't love that. Um, <laughs> In his defense, he had an interview where he was asked, and uh, he listed all these folk inspirations, like like Bob Dylan and Pete Seeger. Um, and he has a quote where he said, I don't consider my work to be part of any tradition. This is how I play. This is how I write songs. Um, again, like I do think he sounds a lot like Dylan, and he talks about, like, I was 15, and I heard Bob Dylan, and like it was very, very formative for me. He also covers uh, I Want You by Bob Dylan, which is oh, a, such a good song like on that. one of his earlier albums. Um, anyway, that was a little tangent. I also want to play... Uh, uh, a song that kind of shows off, I mentioned inscrutable lyrics. This is uh, a, a song off uh, The Wild Hunt called Burden of Tomorrow that I'm going to play now uh, that I just really like. I 
Sometimes when I talk about songs on this show, I like to go to songmeanings.com and see how other people interpreted them. It's just I like didn't a website. Know that's a thing. Yeah, it's a website where like they post the lyrics and then people like comment on what they think it is and you can like vote for who you think oh, has the best interpretation. Um, so like I'll look at that sometimes just to see if I missed anything or to see like what other people are in- interpreting it as. Uh, the entry for this song is fucking great because the theories that people are floating are wild. Um, and I don't blame them because like I wouldn't know how to begin putting this song together into a message. The lyrics are just they're very clever and they're full of imagery, but like they're kind of hard to interpret like the line rumor has it that i wasn't born i just walked in one frosty morn into the vision of some vacant mind like all of the lyrics of this song are like that and i don't really know what it means but i i like it a lot um so i wanted to just talk about this album the wild hunt because i love it and i think you would really enjoy it too or maybe you won't listener at home you should listen to it but while i was prepping for this segment i found a youtube video that he posted of a cover that he did of Joni mitchell's both sides now uh, which i immediately sent to rachel because it was so good uh he covered this song for like a video series he did and has this like intro where he explains that it's the greatest song ever written and that is such a relief to him because now he's <laughs> free to not try to write the greatest song ever written um and then he did this cover of both sides now which i also adore if you are not familiar if you've seen love actually it's the very very sad song that plays when um oh my god i can't remember her name what's that actress's name i always get her confused with the woman who plays hermione in the harry potter movies i'm gonna get there emma watson emma thompson wow good work so anyway, when she's like crying, it's this is the song that's playing. <laughs> it's a very, very good song. It's a really good song, and there's a really good cover. I'm going to play it now. Now it's just another show. You leave them laughing when you go. And if you care, don't let them know. Don't give yourself away. I looked at love from both sides now. From give and take and still somehow it's love solutions that I recall. No, I really don't know love at all. I don't really have anything else to add about this. Like it's it's uh it has broken my sort of theme of talking about this one album, but it's so so good. Have you seen him besides the time we saw him here in Austin? No, I only saw him that one time. I would love to see him again. There was a heckler in the audience. The heckler after he finished playing a song yelled out, "Stop being so talented." <laughs> It was very, very pure. It was very, very good. I think that was the same person. There's a song he has, I think, called uh, Brother or Brothers uh, that has this like wild sort of not solo, but just like instrumental break that he just like goes down the whole neck of the guitar. uh, And that same dude just went like 
damn in the middle of this like pretty acoustic <laughs> song anyway uh this cover is really good it has a lot of other covers i mentioned i want you by bob dylan he has a banjo cover of paul simon's graceland Whoa. that is my favorite cover of my favorite paul simon song check that out it is fucking great and he puts all these like he when he covers a song he does just like cover it he puts like a very distinctive spin on it that i really enjoy um i just really love his music it occupies a very singular space in my mind not just for like in terms of uh genre like he is kind of the ideal folk music creator for me but also in like you know i have a lot of sense memory i feel like tied to tied to his music in this album in particular yeah what's your second thing my second thing is also a uh, musician it is charles bradley hell yes okay charles bradley is somebody that i was introduced to by a listener of the show anna roach oh yeah who is a big fan of soul music and was very uh insistent that we all go see him when he came to the austin city limits music festival he was i feel like there was a very there was a connection for austin and him because it's where and that where the movie there's so much uh, sorry i don't want to spoil oh so the movie about his life premiered at south by southwest yeah so that may be what i feel like everybody i know in austin is like a huge charles bradley yeah, fan like it's a weird like everybody here like knows who he, who he was it occurred to me when i was researching this that maybe there were some listeners that hadn't yeah for sure I, I do not think that that is the case for everywhere yeah uh so charles bradley and and once we play a clip from his music you'll be able to hear it right away um actually started his musical career at 19 as a james brown impersonator named black velvet yes and you will hear that uh in his music for sure um but prior to that uh he was born in 1948 in florida raised by his grandmother until his mom returned at age eight and took him off to New York. And then he led kind of a turbulent life. Uh, he didn't get along with his mom. And so he ran away and was homeless briefly. Uh, but then at 14, his sister took him to the Apollo to see James Brown and it just changed his whole life. Uh, and then, so after he was a James Brown impersonator, uh, he eventually went back to uh, odd jobs and periodic gigs and continued to kind of have this rough life. Uh, and then in 2001, at age 53, he was introduced to the co-founder of Daptone Records, who took him to the producer, songwriter, and guitarist Tom Brennick, uh, which became uh, the Menahan Street Band, which backs yeah. Charles Bradley. Uh, and that's when uh, they recorded some 45s in 2011. And then at 62, he released his debut LP, No Time for Dreaming. And it is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. It is so good. Uh, so I want to play a little bit uh, of the song, How Long? Here it is. I look at him and say, Uh, so you'll you'll hear obviously the James Brown connection right away. He also gets a lot of comparisons to uh, Otis Redding and Al Green, uh, and that he is 
He is very soulful and very passionate and emotional. And that was my experience seeing him. So I saw him twice at Austin City Limits Music Festival and then actually once during South by Southwest, this little party that was being sponsored by Rolling Stone. And it was him and a bunch of other artists. Uh, but it was a real small venue. Uh, and he, he it is it was not unusual to see him on stage just like weeping, just so engaged and and uh tapped into what he was singing. Um, I feel like shit. I never got to see him. I know because yeah. he played here all the time, and I just, I just never made it. So he had uh, two other albums that came out: uh, "Victim of Love" in 2013 and "Changes" in 2016. Uh, and then, unfortunately, at age 68 in 2017, he died after battling stomach cancer. Um, but that last album, Changes, actually, he covers uh, Black Sabbath's Changes. Yes. Uh, and I wanted to play a little of that, yeah, too. Yeah, here it is. Obviously, it's very sad that he he died. Especially after it took him forever. Forever it took, it, it, yeah. to have a career that bloomed this late. And in that life. documentary about him, you can really kind of see just how like difficult his life was, and then just like out of nowhere, he became successful. Oh, it wasn't uh, out of nowhere. I would well, argue. no, I mean, but like it just suddenly, like all of the like insecurity, just like instability you know it just he had tremendous opportunity all of a sudden was playing out to these like sold out crowds and getting like a lot of recognition for how talented he was uh and he was so grateful uh and just humbled by by that um and and it, it was just like i would say even more than like james brown or you know it he obviously the performance was great and the voices is, is great and and the lyrics and everything but just how much of himself he brought uh to the music like it, it, you just feel very connected uh to him when he sings yeah uh, it's very nice uh to listen to uh and and to feel that much emotion from an artist um so yeah, so I I immediately developed this like very strong fondness, and I feel like anybody who kind of spends some time with his music feels that. Especially people that I feel like that's why everybody I know here in Austin why they like love him so much is because they all saw him perform at South by Southwest. Yeah, I, I, well, like yeah, I, I saw him perform like three times in like you know four years or whatever. Yeah. It was like I never missed an opportunity. Uh, to see him uh, just because it was so powerful and you just you felt so happy for him you know that he was somebody with this immense talent that was finally getting an opportunity to be recognized for it yeah 
That's our episode. Before we wrap up, I'm going to tell you about some of the things that our uh, friends at home playing the home version of Wonderful are into. And uh, here's Danny who says, my nightly routine has always been brushing my teeth, then going straight to bed. It's always been a chore, though. I've never liked brushing my teeth. So a trick I've developed is brushing them well before I hit the hay. That way, when I go to sleep, it feels like I've cheated the system and I'm a happier boy. (laughs) Danny, my dude. I've started doing this too. It is dope. It is so well, good. Well, you kind of do it out of necessity because I go to sleep much earlier than you. That's true. And I don't want uh, to disturb you with the what if sounds you of the like moans little... of pleasure I do when I brush my teeth. <laughs> what about like if you want a little snack though? You know? I'll still eat it. Griffin. I'm supposed to not eat for like a couple hours after I brush my teeth? <laughs> Once I brush my teeth, like I Your have mouth. closed up shop. <laughs> I don't know who's wrong here. I think Am you I, are. Is it wild to, if you brush? The, the part of brushing your teeth is to get your mouth all clean before you go to sleep. And if you eat something, you're getting it all dirty again. But I brush my teeth in the morning and then I drink coffee and eat breakfast right away. But so you're letting those food particles just sit in your teeth all night. Who gives a shit? Like I've got teeth do. Uh, Griffin, you have no leg to stand on here. Like you're. Oh, yeah. Cavity count. Ready? Count of three. One, two, three. Two. Like Twelve. Okay. Our second one is sent in by Sarah, who says, The thing I want to talk about is working on homework with friends. It's especially good when you aren't working on the same things. I just love sitting with a friend or two and getting shit done. We're all in grad school, so there's endless work, and this way we can hang out and be productive all at once. It's even better because we usually meet up in libraries. I love libraries. That could be a whole other email. But yeah, I love doing homework with friends and quietly motivating each other through the endless grad school slog. Yes. I mean, I love the idea of it. Did you never do like study group? You, oh, we did. Where you eat a bunch of snacks and yeah. just hang out and get work done? Uh, except for the last thing. Oh, Griffin. It was mostly me and Patrick Stanley hanging out, writing our capstone paper the night before <laughs> it's oh, due, Griffin. pulling an all-nighter, taking a quick break to go and play through all of Mega Man X, then go back into the the, the study. You were exactly the kind of student that I resented. <laughs> yeah, and then I got, you know... A good A on that capstone, so no big deal. But I like the idea of it. I bet you can't do that in grad school. I bet they'll find out. (laughs) Did you beat Mega Man X last night instead of... Yes, I did. I'm sorry. (laughs) Your second page is really influenced by Mega Man X. It's a walkthrough of Mega Man X that you printed out in the same batch as your capstone. I mean, I do do appreciate knowing how to beat uh, Spark Mandrill, but uh, I'm a... (laughs) I was wondering what Flame Mammoth's weakness was. Now I'm just trying to remember all the bosses in Mega Man X. There was a penguin. There was a chameleon. Did you say Spark Mandrill? Yeah. Be a good roller derby name. Yeah, it would. A lot of the names. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was like a boomerang head man. I've lost it. Uh, Eric says, a summer threat. <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> A summer treat? A summer threat I find quite wonderful are snow cones. They're everywhere. The silent killers. Everyone has fond memories of them. Which may, That's my fuck up and not this person's. I hope everybody at home knows that. It says treat. Everyone has fond memories of them, which make them feel immediately nostalgic, especially with friends on a hot summer day enjoying your time off school. Plus, all the different flavor and color combination make them endless fun and weirdly beautiful for just being shaved ice covered in sugar juice. We gotta get some snowballs before the summer's over. We do. I'll say this on the subject of snow cones. They are the most... um, 
mercurial in terms of quality food out there, I think. Because if you get the shit that's like pebbles of ice with a little bit of just sugar water poured on it, yeah. that's gross. And then the water goes all the way to the bottom. Gross, no good. And the yeah. juice like goes all the way to the bottom, yeah. And then like the top is just straight ice and yeah. flavorless ice. Terrible. Fuck that. Proper shaved ice. And I'm talking about that fine powder. That sweet cotton <laughs> mixed in with like heap and help into juice that's like actual actually tastes like something. Oh my god, it is there is nothing better. Especially if it's like flavors that aren't just like cherry, blue raspberry. What's the place like down Casey Snowballs. Casey Snowballs makes a plate it makes just like the best snow cones you've ever it's tasted. It's like New Orleans inspired somehow. Yeah. Or and from they, New Orleans. They also do like an ice cream thing where you can get like a, a snow cone ball on top of an ice cream scoop. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's so fucking good. Um, anyway, yeah, snow cones are dope and really dangerous. Um, thank you to Bowen and Augustus <laughs> for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. Um, hey, if, hey, tell a friend about our show. We've, I don't think we've ever asked anybody to do that, but... Um, we yeah, really if you appreciate get, if you get some good vibes from this show and you have a friend who could also use some good vibes, please recommend it. We try to be a good vibes show. And I think there's people who could be helped by that instead of just, you know, the bad vibes show, like, you know, the show where they talk about all this stuff that they hate and the stuff they think really stinks. I mean, that's basically the news. Am I right? Am I right, people? Uh, thank you to Maximum Fun for hosting our show and for putting out all sorts of great programs. Bubble is very good, if you haven't heard Bubble. It is good. I listened to a lot more of it while we were traveling to San Diego. Um, oh, yeah, and you got to see all those folks. I did. There. Well, not all those folks. I saw Jordan Morris at a uh, at a fun party, but I think that was it. I was only there for like about 13 hours. Yeah. <laughs> it was a wild one. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Um, and oh, if people want to send in their own submissions, how do they do that? Wonderful podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you want to hear more McElroy shows, you can go to McElroyShows.com. Uh, one more quick note. Uh, we've mentioned our PO box in the past. Uh, we are having to transfer that. Um, so stop sending stuff to it until we we will let you know when we have a new PO box. Um, yes. So just sort of chill on that for a little bit. Uh, okay. That's it. So, mm, I'm out of outro juice too. Oh, Griffin. Um, can we, are more jokes about smooth? Is there another Santana? You didn't ask me who I would replace it with. Oh yeah. Who'd you replace it with? For Smooth, the song by Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas. John Mayer. Oh, God. And Blake Shelton. Oh, my (laughs) God. You have to legally say that was a joke. I'd call it smoother. Oh, my God, Rachel. You have to say this is a joke. Out loud, because people will cut it and they'll lose the context of it being a joke. And then we'll be run out of town on a rail. It drops September 2018. Look for it. For Smoother, the sequel to Smooth with John Mayer and Blake Shelton. Uh-huh. Get, you gotta say you're joking. Because now I don't know if you think this song would be smoother than Smooth by Rob Thomas and Carlos Santana. It is a joke, Griffin. Oh, thank God.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. And rolling. The news today is terrible, so why not forget about it while listening to Jonah Radio uh, with Cash Hartzell. Hey, everybody. Featuring Neil Mahoney. Also me. This is a podcast where we play music submitted by a listener. We hang out, we listen to new tunes, and uh, we take submissions at Jonah Radio, R-A-Y-D-I-O, at gmail.com. Come and check us out. We're here anyway. Yeah, we'll yeah. be here. So, and that's it. Back to your regularly scheduled uh, podcast. Yeah.